Welcome to Life Snacks. This is a podcast on a mission to help a woman navigate post-grad life together through snack-sized stories, but life-changing advice. This is for every one of us out there dealing with the realities of life after college that no one talks about. For those of you that may be feeling lost, you are not alone. Join me on this journey to get to the bottom of the shit we weren't taught in school. We'll discuss health, wealth, relationships, careers, and how to truly create our greatest lives. We've got big visions and big missions, so we're breaking them down bite by bite to help you make your post-grad dreams a reality. I'm your host, Lauren Tierney, and let's get snacking. I just recorded with the incredible Jean Chatsky. Jean is the CEO and co-founder of Her Money Media. She's an award-winning personal finance journalist, the financial editor for NBC Today, New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author, and she's a reoccurring guest on the Oprah Winfrey Show. Goddamn, Jean really does it all. Jean cuts all the BS in fancy financial terms and explains in very simple terms how you can set yourself up for a successful financial future today. Jean and I also discuss how women really struggle to talk about money and involve themselves in the world of finance, which is why she founded Her Money Media. Her Money is on a mission to level the playing field for financial security and provide a platform that gives women confidence and power when it comes to their money through content that they consider lingo-free financial information. I think we can all agree we could use a little bit of that. Jean believes if you want to own your life, you have to own your money. I hope you can find as many snacks of knowledge as I did from this conversation with Jean Chatsky. Hi, Jean. Welcome to the Manifest Her podcast. Hey, Lauren. Nice to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Given this series is called Life Snacks, we like to start out with a few fun snack-related questions. So I'd love to hear what your favorite snack is right now and what your favorite childhood snack was. Sadly, they haven't changed very much. My children will tell you, my grown children, by the way, will tell you that they make fun of me because I always keep candy in the car. We call it car candy. It generally is something gummy. These days, I'm really liking the Haribo sour gummy bears. I think they're better than both the Sour Patch Kids and the regular gummy bears. So I'm going to stick with that for both answers. (laughs) Well, that is a hot take. I also like gummy bears, but I'll have to give those a try. I love that you keep them in your car. My mom does something similar. She has purse chocolate. She thinks she has to have chocolate after every meal. So she keeps chocolate in her purse and takes it out like at the dinner table. It's very dangerous in summer. I mean, car chocolate, I've tried car chocolate and car chocolate, it can be a really ugly thing. So can gummies, by the way, in 90 degree weather, like they get into one massive gummy and you have to throw them out. But, but yeah, but right now spring is, is, is premium gummy season. Well, I'll have to keep that in mind. All righty. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and the journey that brought you to what you're doing today? So I am a personal finance expert and author, and I got here pretty much through journalism with a few detail with a few detours along the way. And I just think that's something for your audience to really keep in mind. Your journey is not going to be straight. It's not going to be what you think it is. And 
I think the reason that I am where I am today is because I allowed myself to go through doors and windows when they open. It can be a little scary, but it's also really exciting and sometimes challenging and surprising in a good way. So I came out of college. I was an English major. I wanted to be a journalist. I spent all my time at the school paper and got a job at a magazine called Working Woman that no longer exists as the assistant to the business editor. And that meant that I got to cover businessy topics and career-like topics, a little bit of personal finance. And I really liked it. And so when I was ready to leave that first job, I went looking for a job in business journalism and could not find one. The, the people that were hiring at the big business magazines didn't think that Working Woman magazine was a real thing. They, you know, they didn't think it had the gravitas needed to work for a Forbes or a fortune. And so I floundered around for a little while, but eventually I looked for and found a job on Wall Street because I thought about what uh, research analysts do. And it's very much like what business journalists do. And there, there were some analysts who were happy to hire me because they needed people to just write their reports. And I had those skills. So I was able to do that for a couple of years. Then I came back into business journalism, worked at Forbes, went to a personal finance magazine called Smart Money, and that's where I started doing television. That's where I got on the Today Show and did the Today Show for 25 years, wrote a bunch of books, started a company called Her Money. And today I have a podcast called Her Money that I hope you guys will all tune into. We talk about life through the window of money. So a lot of careers, a lot of budgeting, some shopping, cooking, but everything with a financial angle, investing, of course. And, and hermoney.com is where we publish new content every single day. That's such an incredible story. And I think so valuable for our listeners to hear that your journey isn't always linear and just following the journey really takes you to where you're eventually going to end up and supposed to be. So can you tell us a little bit about Her Money and really the mission behind the company and what you guys have set out to do there? The mission is to level the playing field for women as far as money is concerned. We've got a big gender wage gap in this country. We've got a big racial wealth gap in this country, and we want to level things out. And the way we're doing that is by curating an ongoing conversation about money, about why we have to research how much we're worth and then ask for it, about how to ask for it, and about all the different questions that, that women have along the way. One of the things that I noticed, and I noticed it mainly when I started going out and giving speeches to large audiences, was that when I had a group that was all women, the conversation was just electric. Women were willing to get up, share their stories, ask their questions, no judgment. When I had groups where there were men and women in the room, it didn't have the same feeling. It really felt like people were reluctant to be personal and reluctant to talk. And so 
I decided to start hermoney.com because I wanted to create that environment, that lasting environment where we could ask our questions, where there would be no judgment, where we could get the information that we needed. So that's what we do on the podcast. We answer lots of questions. We have a very active private Facebook group where We've got amazing women who help each other with everything. We've got a coaching program called Finance Fix, where if you're feeling like you are underwater as far as knowing how to handle your money and establish your priorities and pay down some debt, meet some goals, it's an eight-week hands-on coaching program, and, and that's going really well. So we've got, we've got a lot going on. Sounds like it. And I definitely can attest that your podcast is wonderful. I think I've listened to almost every episode and I definitely recommend it for people of all ages, but especially people that are younger in their career journey and kind of just starting out and trying to figure out so many of the hard conversations and things around money, which brings me to my next question. Why do you think women struggle so much to talk about money and how can we really start having these conversations so we can increase our financial literacy? I think we struggle because it's hard to do something that you've never done. And that's true of, you know, cooking short ribs. If you've never cooked short ribs, it's true of running a mile. If you've never run a mile and it's true about talking about money, if you've never really talked about money and your generation was not raised to believe that talking about money was rude, but your mom's were, I was it, to some degree. And, and the generation older than me absolutely was. Those are hard. Those are hard barriers to break if that's what you grew up with. And so it's important to just start. And for women, especially, sometimes we don't like to do things until we feel like we can do them correctly. We want to get it right. You know, this is why in class we notice a difference in elementary school girls versus girls right after they go through puberty. When in elementary school, teacher asks a question, hands are flying. Girls don't care if they get it wrong. And that's how it should be, by the way. Middle school, all of a sudden, if you don't know the right answer, you are not raising your hand. And the problem with not raising your hand and not getting involved in the world of money is that this is an area where there are not perfect answers, right? If you, if you were to ask me, where's the stock market going? What's going to happen with interest rates? What's up with inflation? I can take an educated guess, but I can't tell you for sure and get it right. And so we have to get comfortable operating with some unknowns. And the best way to do that is to fake it till you make it, to take some money to invest it. You know, if you've got a job, if they offer a 401k, sign up and just start investing the money, put it in a target date retirement fund. That's a very good one and done solution. If you've got a job and there is no retirement plan, open a Roth IRA and every single month when you get paid, have the bank zap some money over to that Roth IRA. And again, put it to work. There are lots of robo advisors that can help make this easier. And then 
just go back in and watch your money grow. And, and it will have ups and downs, no questions. And especially right now, I think we just need to prepare people that the markets will go down eventually. They just, they just will. These things are cyclical. That's okay. When they go down, you keep buying because you're just buying stocks on sale. That's so important. And I'd love to talk about the investment gap between men and women, because I think especially women my age are really trying to learn how to invest. But especially with everything this past year, the GameStop stuff, I think people my age think investing is sitting on their Robinhood account every day and watching stocks and trading them. And that's a form of investing. But what is, I think you called it in your book, boring investing. Yeah. And can we talk a little bit about that? Because that's really the investing I think so many people overlook and don't as a young person get themselves set up to start doing. So let's first just take a step back and talk about the difference between investing and trading and investing and day trading, right? What these folks, many of them, not all of them, but what the folks, the GameStop crowd, the Reddit crowd, what they're doing on Robinhood is day trading. And, and that is speculative. It is high risk. Investing is slower. It's more methodical. It is a world where everybody can get a trophy. It's a discipline. And when you are a habitual investor, you're saving some money every single time you get paid, moving it into a brokerage account, could be with a Robinhood or an Acorns or a Betterment or Wealthfront or some other robo-advisor, but could also be with a Fidelity or a Schwab or another more traditional brokerage firm. And you put it to work. And the way to think about how you should invest your money in a boring way is that we pick a couple of mutual funds or a single mutual fund that gives us the diversification that we need, uh, that puts our money into thousands of different companies at one time so that if one of those companies or two of them takes a fall, our entire investment is not going to implode. And we just keep buying at no matter what the markets do. You, you can do this. The nice thing about 401ks is that 401ks work automatically, right? You just set it up. The money comes out of your paycheck. You don't see it. You don't touch it. You don't spend it. It goes into this pre-selective pool of investments that you have chosen ahead of time. You don't even have to think about it. If you've got a job with no 401k, you've got to mimic that system. You got to set it up for yourself. But again, the same boring thing is good. And boring is not only better, but boring performs better over time. And this is why women are better investors than men. Women, we are very happy to buy and hold. We are very happy not to trade frequently. We're happy not to meddle with our accounts. And as a result, we earn more on our investments than guys do because there are costs associated with doing all of that trading. So if you want to pick a good, boring portfolio, you can do it with a target date retirement fund, which is just one single mutual fund. It'll have a date in the title that should line up with about the date that you think you want to retire, which I know is decades in the future, but that's okay. This fund will invest your money in a way that takes more risk when you're young and you have time to weather the ups and downs of the market and less risk as you get older and don't have as much time. And if you don't want to do that, 
You can put all of your money into a total stock market index fund, a total bond market index fund, and an international fund. And and you're done. And those are cheap. They're cheap, easy index funds. That's such great advice. And just to get a little granular on it, if you're setting up your 401k and it's your first job, and how much should you be putting in? And should you, if your company matches only 6%, let's say, should we be putting in more than our company matches? And how do we make that decision correctly? If you can, you should. So over your lifetime, if you can get yourself to the point where you are consistently putting away 15% of whatever it is you earn for the long term, you're going to be in good shape. Now that 15% can include matching dollars. But what it means is that if you put in 6%, your company matches that 6%, you're at 12%, you need three more percent. So you should get yourself to put in 9% if you can let the company put in six and that'll get you to 15. The problem is that many companies, if they automatically enroll you, enroll you at 3% and that's not enough. So immediately make sure that you're kicking in more than that 3%. And if you're struggling with student loans, if you're feeling like I can't, I can't do that much. I've got so many other things on my plate. It's okay to nudge yourself there over the next few years. So every time you get a raise, bump up your percentage. Every time you pay off some debt, bump up your percentage and, and you'll get there eventually. Can you tell us about, I think as women, we like to keep our money in savings because it feels really safe. Why is savings really not doing anything for us? And then how do we split that? How much should I make sure I have in a savings account that's liquid versus invested? These are really good questions, by the way, Lauren. Yeah, you're right. Women do like to keep our money in savings. We we do it to our detriment. We feel like, oh, this is really safe. But in fact, when you factor in taxes and inflation, you are losing money on your money. You're losing purchasing power because bank savings accounts are terrible right now. It's you know one tenth of one percent. You're getting nothing. You want to keep in savings your emergency money. And that's anywhere from about three to six months worth of living expenses. But it's not three to six months worth of the money that you spend every month. It's three to six months worth of the money that you have to spend every month. So think about, okay, something happens, you get laid off. What do you have to spend and what can you wipe away? And that's the month total that you want to replicate. When it comes to having student loans and saving, how do you prioritize that? Would you recommend paying the loans first or doing both at the same time? And how do you split that? Yeah, it's a hard one. Trade-off questions are always hard. And student loans, because the numbers are so big, they they have this way of just sitting on our shoulders and making us feel crushed by the weight of that debt. And what we've seen is that a lot of people with student loan debt really delay adult life. They, they put off buying their first home. They put off getting married. They put off having kids and they sometimes put off putting money into their 401ks. So what I like people to do is compartmentalize. Take a look at your loan portfolio. You've got federal loans and you've got private loans and let's deal with them separately. Where the federal loans are concerned, if you can stay on that 10-year clock and, and make the payments and get out, that's terrific. But I wouldn't try 
to, I wouldn't try to get more aggressive in paying off those loans ahead of time because the the return on your money is equal to the interest rate on whatever debt you're carrying. And interest rates on student loans are pretty low. And they're not as great as the return that you would get by, say, putting money in a 401k or putting money in a 401k and grabbing matching dollars. So we try to find a way to figure out how to put the loans off to the side and then and then pay them off in a reasonable amount of time, but not not supercharging it. If you've got federal student loans and you think there is a chance in hell that you're ever going to use those federal repayment provisions, the ones that right now have said to you, you don't have to make payments because of COVID or income-based repayment or loan forgiveness, don't refi those loans into the private market because you'll lose those provisions. But if you've looked at your financial situation and you think you're never going to use those provisions, it's okay to refi those loans and lower the interest rate. With private loans, you should absolutely refinance them and lower the interest rate if you can, and then just put those on a schedule where you can pay them off as well. When you talk about value-based budgeting and saving, can you talk a little bit about this? I think young people, especially, we get stuck in this impulse spending, right? I can't save money. I have to go get drinks with my friends. How do we weigh our values when it comes to budgeting and saving money? It's not just young people, by the way. We all get sucked down into the Instagram rabbit hole and and spend money that we don't mean to spend. And, you know, this is all because we're human. We are wired for instant gratification. It makes us feel good. It's like chocolate. It's not like gummy bears, but it is like chocolate. And so the way to line your spending up with your values is to first pay attention to your spending. And if you've never gone through the exercise of tracking your spending for a month, it's really valuable. You can do it on pencil and paper. You can use an app to do it, but it's important to pay attention to all of it, not just what you're spending on your debit and your credit cards, but the Venmo transfers and the cash. And so make a list. And then after you've made that list, go back and look at it item by item and ask yourself, would I do that again? And the ones where you say, yes, line up with your values. And the ones where you say, eh, could have skipped that, don't line up with your values. And you can use that information to shape how you want to spend your money going into the future. I mean, the things with the, the, the drinks with the girls, right? Interestingly, we know that spending money on experiences, spending money on anything social does make us happier than spending money on things. So my guess is that when you go through the exercise, you will say, yeah, I would have done the drinks with the girls again, but maybe I didn't need that 29th pair of jeans. Absolutely. I just started doing this every month this year and it is startling. I now have a Starbucks a week because I'm like, this is my day. I get my one coffee, but it's, you, it, you realize it adds up when you have to write it all down. Right. And when you only have it once a week, whatever that treat happens to be, it's special, right? I mean, I have donut day. You can tell I have a sweet tooth, right? But I have donut day once a week. I can have a donut. But if I had a donut every day, it would be like, eh, 
another donut, but it's special because it only happens on Fridays. Hasn't happened yet today, but it but it only happens on Fridays. Good things ahead today then. That's right. Just some closing questions here. I'd love to hear your answer to this question that I kind of like to ask everyone, which is what is one thing you wish you knew when you graduated from college and what advice would you give to the gene who just had graduated? So the one thing that I wish that I knew coming out of school, because I was very much like, I'm going to do this by 24 and this by 26 and this by 30. And this, I wish I had known that I didn't have to be on a schedule. It's okay to take your time. It's okay to take steps forward and back. It's okay to deviate back to that path is not straight comment that I, I made earlier. Some of the best stuff along the way happened to me because I did something that I was not expecting to do. And so, so that's important. I also think it's important to do things that scare you. The very first time you mentioned Lauren earlier that, that we had met when you were 12 and I gave a talk for your mother's company that you were, you were at. And I don't know exactly when and where that was in my speech giving career, but I got to tell you the first time I gave a speech, I, I was sick like sick to my stomach. And I was sick the first time I went on the Today Show, not just the first time, for the first two years. It it was really scary for me, but somewhere inside, I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I wanted to get better at it. I'm not scared anymore. I, you know, eventually the fun came around, but when you do things that scare you, it's, it's showing yourself that you can, and that's really important too. That's such great advice. I think I'm doing this podcast, which is pretty scary for me and a new skill I'm working on. And I think it's really hard to put ourselves out there sometimes to really push ourselves to do those things. So I appreciate that advice. And I know our listeners will as well. You're doing a really good job, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I feel like I'm hearing your voice and I've been listening to your audiobooks again all week. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> happening in real life now. You've been in my ear. All right, Jean. Well, where can our listeners find you, find out more about her money and just connect with you and be a part of this community? So I'm on all social channels as Jean Chatsky at Jean Chatsky or just Jean Chatsky and hermoney.com is where you can find us. Awesome. We'll link it all in the show notes and everyone definitely check out the podcast, Her Money. It is such a great learning source for women. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to my episode with Jean. I hope you had some valuable takeaways from our conversation and enjoyed the episode. If you could please take a moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, I would be so grateful. When you leave that rating and review, DM it to me on Instagram and you'll be entered to win a copy of Steph Caldwell's book, Manifest Her. We'll be picking one winner each week. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm truly grateful for every single one of you that tunes in. If you want to keep up with the podcast and see what we're snacking on each week, you can follow me at Lauren D. Tierney on Instagram. And I'll be back with another episode next week.